only the presence of the Lord is in this place, I can feel his mighty power and his grace. Let's sing. services today. Uh, I'm filling in for Dr. Kennedy who is having a good restful time with his family over these holidays and so uh, we are glad to have those of you who may be guests in our service today. If you have not yet filled out a guest card you will find one of those in the pew rack in front of you. We hope that you will fill that out and put that in the offering plate as it is being passed a little later. We are glad to have you here today for this first day of Advent. As we continue in worship, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, our Heavenly Father, we come to this second great event of our years. We have celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And during this Christmas season, we come to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. During the next few weeks in our church, may we, through the messages that our pastor will bring and the songs that we sing, do exactly what we have already said in song. Let us be giving honor and glory and praises to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are gathered here today because we have trusted in Emmanuel, God with us. And so week by week by week, as we celebrate each season of the Advent, may we be reminded that we celebrate Jesus, the gift to us who gives life and forgiveness and eternal blessing. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Good morning. Please join me in reading responsively as we focus on hope for those who wait. Advent is a time for the human heart to wait while trusting God's eternal time. How long, Lord? How long? For those waiting for answered prayer, grant your steadfast patience. For those waiting in the face of uncertainty, grant unshakable confidence in your sovereign provision. For those waiting for justice and mercy to reign, grant a glimpse of your glory in our wounded world. For all of us waiting for God's kingdom to come, grant that we might have the peace of Christ as we wait, the love of Christ as we act, and the grace of Christ as we speak. We confess to you, O Lord, that we easily grow impatient. When your word to us is to wait, ignite with us, within us, a new and everlasting hope. This morning, Debbie and Jim Jasper light the first candle, the candle of hope, which reminds us that throughout history, God's people have spent time waiting, wandering, and wondering about the timing of God's eternal plan. Like the people of old, we long for God's presence to illuminate the areas of life where we are called to wait. This morning, we echo the words of the psalmist, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Oh, 
this morning. I don't know when it's my turn, <laughs> but I thank God that I do get a turn. This morning in our Sunday school class, it focused on Thanksgiving since last Thursday was Thanksgiving Day. So what I'd like to do is to start my deacon's prayer this morning with a prayer that was handed to us in our Thanksgiving Sunday school cool class. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, we humbly come before you with grateful hearts, praising you with all our being, for we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. The one who never changes, we recognize those good things, both large and small, with which you've blessed us. But we also recognize our forgetfulness in giving thanks each and every day. Forgive us in our humanity, Lord. May we learn to thank you for the good, and may we trust the evil to be made good by you. For you alone are worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, we just celebrate a day of thanksgiving this past week. And Father, it's like my dad used to say, it's not about a day of thanksgiving, but it's a life of thanksgiving. And Father, as we now proceed into this service, Lord, we pray for those here, Lord, that need you in a special way. Father, we know that there are many in our fellowship, Father, that not only need you for health, they also need you, Lord, for strength, for wisdom and guidance. And God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit, Father, upon them and upon all of us. And now we ask, Lord, for your blessing as Scott comes forward, Lord, and we pray that he will be used by you, Lord, and that we'll have open hearts, open minds, and open ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say through him, Father. Bless us now with the rest of this service. We thank you, Lord, that we were able to praise and worship you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. A beautiful come and worship medley. If you are comfortable standing, I invite you to do so, but if it's best for you to remain seated, please feel free to do so.
Moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. We are blessed by this reading, for these are the words of the Lord.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. Well, it is a privilege to be able to be here today and to be asked uh, to preach while Kirby was gone. One of the things I have discovered about being a retired pastor is when I was pastoring, I was used to preaching every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And when you do that, you kind of begin to lose the butterflies and the nervousness. But now that I'm retired, I don't preach that often. And so because of that, I find I'm extremely nervous. <laughs> but I am, once again, I am uh, so glad that Kirby asked me to uh, preach today. The other thing I'm nervous about is that uh, in most of the churches I pastored, we did not have Advent, where we lit the candles and celebrated an Advent season. We were pretty traditional Baptists. That kind of thing was for all those high church people. We as Baptists, as free church, didn't do that. But when we went to Alaska, up to uh, Juneau, Alaska, the church there, Glacier Valley Baptist Church, if you have ever been to uh, Juneau on a cruise, how many of you have been to Juneau on a cruise? How many of you went out to see the Mendenhall Glacier? As you drove out to the Mendenhall Glacier, you passed Glacier Valley Baptist Church. It was on the road there. We could, we could see the face of the glacier from our parsonage. But when we were there, they did Advent. And so that was my first time to have that experience. But once again, I usually didn't particularly preach an Advent sermon. But you guys get to be guinea pigs today because I'm trying to do an Advent sermon on hope. And I came here and picked out this passage from Simeon because Simeon, uh, to me, is an example of hope. Now we use that word hope uh, quite freely. About two months ago, uh, my wife has a 2001 Toyota. We're still driving it. It's still going. It's still putting along. But all of a sudden, that little light that said check engine came on. And so I said, okay, honey, we've got to get that into the Toyota place to see what's going on. And she said, I've got too many things to do to give up my car for a day or two. And I said, we, we've got to get it in. And so finally she made an appointment and the appointment was about two weeks away. And I kept saying, I hope nothing really drastically goes wrong with our car. I hope. Nothing goes wrong. I hope my football team wins. They did this last week. I hope our kids are safe. I hope I get a good report from the doctor. Man, I left the house late. I hope I get to my appointment on time. You know, you will notice all those uses of the word hope are really sort of like I wish. I'm, I'm making a wish that my football team uh, wins. I'm making a wish that I get there on time. But the biblical use of the word hope is a little different than that kind of thing. I found a couple of definitions of hope as I was preparing this. A lot of definitions in the dictionary talk about a... Uh, a hopeful expectation, something you wish will come true. 
they used to do, ladies used to do hope chests years ago. And a hope chest was a young woman would place things in a chest that uh, she would be able to use when hopefully one day she got married. That's not the biblical definition of hope. Two Christian writers gave their definitions of what it means to have hope as a Christian. They're very similar, but one of them said, the definition of hope for a Christian is the expectation of coming good based upon the person and promises of God. And the other person said, a good definition of hope is this, a strong and confident expectation, an unwavering trust in the unchanging character of God. Now, I want to use that definition today for the two points in this message. One of my early pastorates, I had a church member come up to me and say, I don't remember how long I had preached, but he said, Preacher, just remember, there is no such thing as a bad short sermon. <laughs> so, well, we'll see what happens today. So we're looking here at Simeon. And the first thing that I notice about Simeon is that his hope is a strong and confident expectation. What is that expectation? Well, notice what it said there in the scriptures. It said that Simeon, in verse 25, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been, listen to this, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ. He would not die before he saw the Messiah, the one whom Israel has been hoping for for hundreds of years, God has said to Simeon, Simeon, you will see him before you die. And that was that expectation that ruled over Simeon's life. Imagine getting up each day and saying to yourself, is this the day? I get to see the promised Messiah. You know, many of us as Christians sometimes say, is this the day that the trumpet will sound and Christ will return? Nobody knows the day or the hour, not even Jesus. And so if you come to me and say, well, preacher, I think he's coming tomorrow, I'll say, well, you know more than Jesus. Because God says in his word, not even the son knows that. And so this is the kind of expectation that rules over Simeon's life. And in that definition, it says it's a strong and confident expectation. Now, sometimes we hope something's going to happen, but we're not confident about it. But Simeon was confident. Why? because God had told him, and we're going to explore that just a little later. How many of you as a child ever snuck around trying to find out what your parents had got you for Christmas? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, some of you are honest. How many of you have ever found them? <laughs> I did, one year. And when I finished opening them on Christmas morning, showing surprise on my face, my parents said, 
You already knew that, didn't you? <laughs> Can't ever fool your parents. In a book entitled Dare to Believe, a pastor by the name of Dan Bauman talked about one year he was looking around. He said, I did that every year. He said, the wrapped packages I would pick up, I would shake, I would rattle, trying to guess what might be inside of them. Uh, I don't do that as much anymore. Uh, with just me and my wife, nobody else there, we already kind of know uh, what we're getting for Christmas. In fact, I bought my Christmas gift and she bought hers this year. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, just kind of the way it works uh, at our house now. But uh, he, he was talking about, as he was looking around, he said, I found the package with my name on it. And he said, there was no mistaking what my gift was. As a young person, I enjoyed playing golf. And he said, I could tell by the shape of the package that it was golf clubs. <laughs> It was kind of long, and it had a little crook at the top, and he said, I knew what it was. I was getting golf clubs, but here's the thing. I could not unwrap that gift until Christmas Day. But he said, at night when I would go to bed, I would dream of using those golf clubs. I would think about being out on the links to be able to hit the ball with those golf clubs. I was confident that on the day after Christmas, I would be playing golf with those clubs. That is the kind of confidence that Simeon had when God told him, Simeon, you will not die until you have seen the Lord's promised Messiah. Now, in my mind, over the years, whenever I have read this passage, I have always thought of Simeon as an older man. I don't know why, but I, I just have always thought that. How many of you picture him as an older man? I see in Luke, the second chapter, we have uh, the workmen, the shepherds out in the fields who are told about the birth of the Christ child in Bethlehem. Uh, we have a young couple, Joseph and Mary, with their child bringing him to the temple uh, to do the things that are required by the law and the dedication of Jesus and in the paying uh, of the sacrifice and in the for the cleansing of Mary. And of course, he's already been circumcised. And so we have a young couple. We have workmen, we have a young couple with a new child, and then we have Simeon and Anna senior adults. I love it. A whole gamut of ages and occupations there. But Simeon has that promise from God. And it's not just, well, I, I hope, man, I, I, I hope I get to see the Messiah before I die. No. No. The hope was, I know I will see the Messiah before I die. Amen. A strong and confident hope. One of the things I like to do is I like to watch the four major tennis tournaments. I like to watch the Australian Open, I like to watch the French Open, I like to watch the US Open, but I particularly enjoy watching Wimbledon on grass. Back in 
uh, the late 70s and 1980, there was a tennis player by the name of Bjorn Borg. Bjorn Borg had won four Wimbledons in a row. In 1980, he was going to go for his fifth straight Wimbledon. And he was to play against John, oh, come on, Scott. Give me a break. John McEnroe. I know I don't like the guy. <laughs> that's, that's why God took him out of my mind. <laughs> I never cared for Connors. Now, the only problem with Wimbledon is that it was always played on Sunday morning, early. I was a preacher, and I couldn't say to my people, I'm sorry, I have to skip Sunday because I want to watch a tennis tournament. <laughs> so, fortunately, later on that Sunday afternoon, uh, a, a station replayed the match. Now, on the way home from church, I turned on the radio, and I had already heard that Bjorn Borg had won his fifth straight Wimbledon. All right. So I went home, and I watched it on television, a delayed broadcast. You know what? It went five sets. Now, five sets is the maximum number of sets that you can play in a tennis match. Bjorg won, Connors won, Bjorg won, Connors won. Now we're into the fifth set. Do you know what? I got worried. <laughs> I got worried because the fifth set went to a tiebreaker. I really, and, and in the middle of being worried about a match which I'd already heard the results of, I suddenly said to myself, Scott, you know how it comes out. You've already heard that Bjorg won. Why are you getting so worried? And I thought, sometimes we, are, we as Christians are a bit that way. When we trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we have heard the promise, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that has not been said by a stranger, it has been said by our Heavenly Father in his word and from the lips of Jesus Christ. It has been promised. And so when you and I, have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, the outcome of our lives at death is already fixed. Yes. We are going to heaven. But sometimes people get, I wonder, I wonder, did, did that bad thing I did, uh, did that nullify that? Am I not going to make it? And the thing of it is, God has already given us the outcome. And sometimes we get worried about the state of our world and what's going on, and we begin to wonder, oh my goodness, how is this all going to turn out? And we already know how history turns out. It's like a janitor told his pastor one time. The pastor was preaching on Revelation, and the janitor said, Preacher, I know how it turns out. Preacher said, really? He said, yeah, God wins. God wins. 
Desmond Tutu was being interviewed by Newsweek one time. And the, the interviewer said, you seem to have a very positive outlook on life. How are you able to do that knowing all that you've been through? And Tutu said, I don't necessarily have a positive outlook on life. He says, I have a hopeful outlook on life. And he said, people like Hitler, Idi Amin, and others, I look around, they're gone. They are no longer here. Good keeps on going. God wins. God is the victor. Whatever happens in this world, whenever Christ returns again, we are the victors through our faith in Christ, through our strong and confident hope because of what God's word has said. And the next thing that this definition of hope says is that hope is an unwavering trust in the unchanging character of God. Now you've got to put those two things together. An unwavering trust in the unchanging character of God. What's that mean? Is that God's character has always stayed the same. Over in the book of James, Excuse me, let's wait a minute uh, on that, Carol. Okay, thank you. I've got some things Carol's going to put up in a minute. But remember that Simeon had been given a promise. And when we get down to verses 29 and 30, it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Earlier, we talked about Simeon had been given the promise. Now Simeon says, you have kept your promise. I have seen your salvation. In other words, Simeon is saying, God, you did not lie to me. You have kept your word. God is a God that when he tells us something, he will keep his word because that is his character. Throughout the Bible, we have promises that God made to people, and he kept those promises to Abraham and Sarah. He promised them when they were at 75 years of age, 75 and 74, that you will have a child. And now all of a sudden they are at 99 and 100 and all of a sudden, they have not yet had a child, but at 99 and 100, all of a sudden, Sarah comes in and says, Honey, guess what? I'm starting to knit baby clothes. I'm pregnant at 99 and 100. But how long had they waited? They had waited almost 25 years. 25 years they had waited. But God had told them, This is what will happen. And it happened. God kept his word. To Moses he came and said, Moses, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses tried to make all kinds of excuses and God said, Moses said, go down, tell Pharaoh, let my people go and I'm going to tell you this, that they will let you go and they will be glad to see you go. 
And sure enough, that's what happened. God freed the children of Israel from Egypt and Moses led them to the promised land just as he had promised Moses that he would do. Moses died, Joshua becomes the leader. They cross over into the promised land and the very first place they come to is there at Jericho. There Jericho. Jericho was a large city of that day. It had double walls around the city, 12 feet thick. One evening, Joshua's out walking around Jericho and he's thinking to himself, what in the world are we going to do to take this city? And all of a sudden, angel of the Lord shows up and says, here's what you do. Get the ark, get the people. For six days, I want you to march around Jericho. Then go home, get a good night's sleep, do it again. Now on the seventh day, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march around seven times. And finally, on the seventh time, here's what you're supposed to do. I want you to start shouting, praising God, and blow the trumpets. And so Joshua thought to himself, I don't think he said it to the angel of God, but I think he thought to himself, that's not exactly the best battle plan I've ever heard, but God asked me to do it. I'll do it. That's faith. God asked me to. I'll do it. And sure enough, as the old song says, and the walls came tumbling down. God made a promise to Joshua. He kept his promise. He made a promise to David. David, there shall never fail to sit on the throne of Israel one from your lineage and God kept his promise and on the human side remember Jesus was of the lineage of David and sits at the right hand of the father today just waiting for the trumpet to sound to come and take his people home God kept his promise the unchanging character of God is that he will always keep his promise. James, the first chapter, verses 13 through 14. Carol, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. What God's Word says is there is not a drop of evil in God. There's not a touch of evil in God. There's nothing evil in God. Does God does not tempt anyone to do evil because he cannot tempt anyone to do evil. He doesn't have that in him. Now, we go to the Gospel of John and Jesus' character is the same as God. That's what we're celebrating Christmas time. Emmanuel. In Jesus, we see God. In John 14th chapter, 9th verse, he says to Philip, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then in that same chapter, John, the 14th chapter, verse 1, Jesus said, You trust in God, trust also in me. When we come to this Christmas season, 
And we celebrate the birth of Christ. We are celebrating the fact that God has come and walked on the face of this earth in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And so just as God did not ever lie when he made a promise, when Christ makes a promise, Christ does not lie either. He is there for us. When he says he will do something for us, he will do that. He will give forgiveness. He will give peace. He will give eternal life. Remember our pastor uh, in the past few weeks has been uh, preaching out of various uh, scriptures from the book of Hebrews. And over in Hebrews 13, 6, it says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is a promise from God, a promise from Christ. I never leave you. I never forsake you. I read an excerpt out of a book by a Scottish preacher by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote a book called Deserted by God? Question mark on that. So you have to understand that he, his book's title has a question mark, Deserted by God. And he told about, he said, uh, the first physician to die of AIDS was a uh, Christian man. First physician to die of AIDS was a Christian man. He said he was doing research and testing in Zimbabwe. And in the midst of that testing, he contracted AIDS. He said, toward the last days of his life, this young physician got to where he had an extremely difficult time communicating, even with his wife. And he said one day he was trying to communicate something to his wife and she just could not understand what he was trying to say to her. And finally he took a piece of paper, he took the piece of paper and he wrote on it, J. His wife ran and got his um, medical book and started going through all the kinds of illnesses, the diseases and sicknesses that began with the letter J and she would read it off, uh, questioning, you know, this, this, and every time he would shake his head, no. Finally, she closed the book and she looked at her husband and she said, Jesus? And he shook his head. And what he was communicating to his wife is that in the midst of what has happened to me, I still am confident that Jesus Christ has not deserted us. That is a promise made to us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you and when the doctor comes in and says I'm sorry there's nothing else we can do for you Jesus does not desert when disappointment comes we've had hopes about certain things in our lives and they have not happened and that disappointment comes in Jesus is still 
with us. When someone that we love passes away, Jesus does not leave us. He is always there, no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulties, no matter what happens. Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. That is a promise that we can hold on to because we trust in the character of God that if he says he will do something, he will do it. Simeon had been given a promise. You will not die until you see the Messiah. And finally, it happens. He is in the temple. Mary and Joseph are in the temple with the baby Jesus. And the Spirit brings Simeon into contact with Jesus. And he holds that little baby in his arms. And he says, now my eyes have seen the salvation of Israel, both for the Gentiles and for the Jewish people. And he says, let your servant depart in peace. I can die in peace. I have seen the fulfillment of your promise. Martin Luther made a comment one time. He said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. And that's true. But here's the important question we always have to ask. It's not what we hope in. It is whom do we hope in? That's poor English, but who is the one that we hope in? If it is not Jesus Christ for forgiveness, if it is not Jesus Christ for eternal life, if it is not Jesus Christ to know that there will be one with you day by day by day, situation by situation by situation, circumstance after circumstance, you do not have much hope. My eyes have seen your salvation. Let me ask, have your eyes seen salvation? Have your eyes seen the Savior, God in the flesh, who came to this earth, who went to a cross, who died on that cross for your sins and for my sins? And have you come to that point where you have said, Jesus, you are the one who will forgive me of all of my sin. You are the one who will give me eternal life. You are the one in whom I will place my hope for life eternal, for life beautiful, for life here and forever. Can you sing? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Have you made that decision to lean on Jesus?
for everything you need. The one who will ultimately give you a place in heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. So that where I am, there you may be also. Oh man, there is so many songs I could think of at this time. Have you seen the Savior? And have you placed your hope in the Savior? Jesus Christ. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, you kept a promise to Simeon, and he was glad to see it fulfilled. And in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have made a promise that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Father. I don't know everyone in this place today. I know so many here today have placed their hope for the future, their hope for victory, their hope over Satan, their hope over Israel, over evil. They've placed it in Jesus Christ, and I thank you for that. But if there is someone here today who's heard of Christ and what he can do, They've seen the Savior, but they've never yet said, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. I believe you will forgive me. You will cleanse me. You will make me whole and make me new. And you will give me life eternal. Might they say today, finally, I've seen you and I now trust you and place my hope in you alone. And I ask that in the Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, never made Him your hope, we would invite you in a moment to simply step out from where you are and come down and say, Preacher, I want to give my life to Christ today. Maybe you're searching for a church home. You've been coming here. Kirby would be so glad to know that you finally decided you want to make this your church home. We'd be glad to welcome you. Whatever decision you need to make, you make it today for the Lord as we sing together.
seated. Thank you, Scott, for sharing with us what the Lord laid on your heart. Thank you. you. (coughs) Christmas came this past week to our building, have you noticed? (laughs) And I'm going to ask if you were part of the team that came last Monday and even into the afternoon, maybe even Tuesday, and helped to decorate our building, would you stand so that we can acknowledge and thank you? Unfortunately, those boxes of trees and other things don't just automatically come. Thank you very, very much. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Paul Barnes in loving memory of his beloved wife, Barbara. Thank you, Paul. On the back of your bulletin, there are a number of things that I would like to draw your attention to. The first one being a field trip to Oregon Stop Pizza. That is over in Mesa. If you have been before, I hope that you will consider going again because we're going after the whole dining room is decorated with beautiful Christmas attire and we will hear just uh, Christmas music from that huge Wurlitzer organ. We have 14 spaces left on the bus and it's quite a deal. Only $20 provides transportation to and from as well as all you can eat pizza, salad, drink, and ice cream for dessert. A wonderful deal. It's a private lunch, so we will have the whole dining room to ourselves, but I would encourage you, if you are interested, to sign up, pay your $20 in the small lobby after we're finished in just a few minutes. The men's breakfast, we have today and next week men for you to sign up, and Dr. Williamson will be the speaker for that men's breakfast. $4 per person on December 5th at eight. Uh, Next Sunday, we will be observing the Lord's Supper during worship. Our whole worship time will be focused on that observance. Then on Thursday, December 7th, a double feature movie matinee. If you are coming for lunch at 1230, we need you to sign up for that. The cost is $5. And then at 1 o'clock, the movie is free with Christmas goodies. You will not go away hungry, I promise you. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, that's a short one, and then the major One Magic Christmas. This is going to kick off our Christmas season and replace the one that we would typically have on the fourth Thursday of each month. We're delighted you are here, and again, if you are a first-time guest and you completed a guest card, if you would just drop that in one of our offering boxes as you leave in just a moment. Please stand if you would, and Bill Freeman is going to lead us in our closing prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, 
We're so thankful for this day and the opportunity to come to your house and sing praises to your name and hear your word proclaimed. You have blessed us beyond measure. We thank you for that. Show us your will this coming week. Help us in everything that we undertake. We ask that you protect us as we go our separate ways. We ask these things in your Holy Son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.